the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Today we're going to talk with a couple of our advertisers. We'll talk with Luann Miles with Bloom Pest Control and Brett Moore with uh, Montevilla Sewing. How to sew a face mask. They're providing some tutorials. We'll tell you more about that when he joins us in the second hour of today's program. We're uh, engaging in some conversations with some of our advertisers to get some perspective on how this pandemic is impacting their business. Now, they have supported uh, Christian Radio, and we want to support them as well. So we're letting you know who they are and some of the things that you might consider in um, exchanging benefits uh, with them. Also, our classic interview of the day is Nate Pyle, More Than You Can Handle When Life's Overwhelming Pain Meets God's Overcoming Grace. That's coming up later this hour. First, a look at some of the day's headlines. There is increasing confidence that COVID-19 likely originated in Wuhan, in a laboratory, not as a bioweapon, but as part of China's effort to demonstrate its uh, efforts to identify and combat viruses are equal to or greater than the capabilities of the United States. Multiple sources who have been briefed on the details of early actions by China's government and seen relevant materials are saying. Now, this may be the costliest government cover-up of all time, one of the sources has said. CNN covered the story, but included this absurd dig against Republicans, which, you know, politics, so they belong in the middle of all of this. The theory has been pushed by supporters of the president, including some congressional Republicans who are eager to uh, deflect criticism of Trump's handling of the pandemic. Mm. From another story, in the six days after top Chinese officials secretly determined they likely were facing a pandemic from a new coronavirus, the city of Wuhan, at the epicenter of the disease, hosted a mass banquet for tens of thousands of people. Millions began traveling through the Lunar New Year celebrations. President Xi Jinping, he warned the public on the seventh day, the 20th of January. But by that time, more than 3,000 people had been infected during almost a week of public silence, according to internal documents obtained by the Associated Press and expert estimates based on retrospective infection data. Jim Garrity, he points out that the Chinese government did not deny the world a week um, the world a week's worth of warning. At minimum, they denied the world three weeks of warning and perhaps as much as six or seven weeks. If they had shared the information about the first cases and new viruses, uh, similarities to SARS. Rich Lowry points out that uh, we should remember it wasn't long ago that the media deemed suspicions along these lines a conspiracy theory and mocked the fact and fact-checked anyone who dared speak of them. This is certainly a rolling and developing story. While Senate Democrats have blocked the GOP's efforts to continue the Paycheck 
Protection Program. They want extra politically correct dollars. Steve Scalise says the Payroll Protection Program will run out of money in hours. It has now officially done so, leaving businesses unable to access this lifeline. This was 100% avoidable, but Schumer and Pelosi think their unrelated partisan demands are more important than saving jobs and are still blocking funds. Disgraceful, end quote. Some House Democrats are suggesting all Americans get $2,000 per month for the entirety of the pandemic. Wow. Dr. Phil Murphy told uh, Tucker Carlson, I wasn't thinking of the Bill of Rights when we did this. The science says people have to stay away from each other. The New Jersey governor says science trumps the Bill of Rights. Tim Carney says you don't need legal authority when you have the science, I guess. Well, early stages of reopening the country could be, well, two weeks away or much longer. The president met earlier today with governors to outline his plan for reopening the, the uh, country, but has emphasized that it is state-by-state decisions that will ultimately roll out whatever this economic recovery will look like. The president said he'll unveil the plan that uh, provides guidelines for reopening the economy on May the 1st. Polls show most Americans are apprehensive about rushing back to normal. And 39 elderly Texans treated with hydroxychloroquine, 39 of the 56 residents who contracted the virus agreed to try the drug. All 39 are doing well after five days with no side effects. It's encouraging. And the ACLU is fighting for release of criminals due to the coronavirus. Among those who would be sprung under the ACLU plan include a former bishop of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who pled guilty to sexually abusing two children, a man accused of kidnapping and murdering two teenagers in 2017, and a woman who allegedly purchased bacteria that can cause staph infections to kill her roommate. Meanwhile, a pair of Rikers Island inmates were denied their effort to escape the coronavirus. Now, certainly we um, need to make wise decisions about that population, but there are some who uh, cannot be reentered into society due to the crimes they have committed and are being incarcerated. Well, the police department told they, has been told that they must address people by their preferred pronoun, part of a politically correct six-page general order that was issued to more than 700 Norfolk officers titled Interactions with Ch- Transgender, Intersex, and Gender Nonconforming Individuals. And San Francisco School is proposing simply giving every student an A. doesn't matter if they know anything. You just give them an A. They'll all feel better. And it looks as if the San Francisco School Board is favoring The idea, we'll talk more later in the program about the deficit that many students are facing, given the fact that school has been truncated. On this day in history, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. writes his letter from the Birmingham jail in which he responds to a group of local clergymen who had criticized him for leading street protests, writing, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. 1862, during the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln signs a bill ending slavery in the District of Columbia. On this day in history, 1945, during World War II, a Soviet submarine in the Baltic Sea torpedoes and sinks the MV Goya, which Germany is using to transport civilian refugees and wounded soldiers. Up to approximately 7,000 people died. 1972, Apollo 16 blasts off on a voyage to the moon with astronauts John W. Young, Charles M. Duke Jr., and Ken Mattingly on board. 2008, the U.S. Supreme Court upholds 7-2, the most widely used method of lethal injection, allowing states to resume executions after a seven-month halt. Well, an update on what's happening here in the state of Oregon. 
Uh, as of uh, earlier today, 296,800 Oregonians have filed jobless claims uh, these past four weeks. COVID-19 continues to spread in the state and in southwest Washington. Uh, cases uh, of the new strain of coronavirus began popping up in January. On February 28th, the first case was reported in the state of Oregon. As of this morning, Oregon has had 58 deaths, 1,600 cases, 33,000 tests. Among those, 31,000 have proven negative. Washington has five uh, has had 567 deaths, 10,700 cases, 124,000 tests, and among those tested, 113,000 were negative. The United States has seen 31,590 deaths, 641,000 cases in the latest numbers, and worldwide 140,700 deaths worldwide. Another 58,800 Oregonians filed for unemployment benefits last week, according to statistics released by the Oregon Employment Department. There have been 296,000 Oregonians who have filed unemployment claims in the past four weeks. That is certainly a record. Another 5.2 million Americans filed for unemployment benefits last week, according to data released this morning by the federal government. About 22 million Americans have sought jobless benefits in the past month, easily the worst stretch of U.S. job losses on record. It means that roughly one in seven workers have lost their jobs in that time. Oregon's employment numbers will be released later in the day. But as of this morning, uh, again, 296,800 Oregonians have filed for unemployment. U.S. students, uh, including those in Oregon, will pay a staggering academic toll from the prolonged coronavirus-induced school shutdown. That's according to new research conducted in Portland based on 5 million test scores. And Washington Governor Jay Inslee has affirmed the current stay-at-home order will remain in place through the 4th of May and raised the possibility it could be extended even further. President Trump said the U.S. has passed the peak on new cases. He said he will have a discussion Thursday with governors and has had that and announced new guidelines for various states to open sooner than May the 1st. In that uh, press conference, the president uh, spoke in some detail about that. Well, rural Oregonians, particularly Republicans, are pushing back after Governor Kate Brown agreed to a Western state's pact with Washington and California on the coronavirus response. When we return from the break, we'll talk more about that. Actually, we'll talk about it later in the program because uh, coming up, we'll talk with Luann Miles with Bloom Pest Control. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, so please stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Over the last several days, we've been talking with some of our advertisers and just finding out how they're doing in the midst of this COVID uh, pandemic. It's had an impact on lots of businesses, but we also want to give you an opportunity to learn more about the services they provide. Bloom Pest Control is a locally owned and family run company that's been a friend of KPDQ and our sister stations for some time. They offer fast, affordable pest control, and we're talking about sugar ants and carpenter ants and spiders and rodents, stinging insects, termites, fleas, cockroaches. My skin is crawling. <laughs> now is a great time if you've got a pest issue to call Bloom Pest Control. And Luann Miles, who is the project manager, joins us now to talk a little bit about how things are going with Bloom. Luann, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Georgine. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Let me first ask you how you and your family and the family at pest, uh, Bloom Pest Control are doing. 
We are well. We're hunkering down during these crazy times, just like the rest of the city. Well, Bloom Pest Control has been a part of the KPDQ family for some time and our sister stations as well. Tell us a little bit about this uh, this company that's owned um, by a family and locally uh, owned and services both Southwest Washington and Portland. What do you all do? We do pest control in the region here, and we also remediate crawl spaces and return the health of homes with cleaning out their crawl space, getting rid of water, and taking care of animals or wood-boring insects or any other pest that's around the house. Yeah, I think sometimes pest is a, a too light a word. Sometimes these can actually be a menace. <laughs> Some of these um, household pets carry uh, germs and disease. They certainly, uh, some can sting and bite. They leave droppings in and around the home. It causes an unsanitary uh, condition. So while it may just seem like a pest problem, it can be much more serious than that. That is correct. For instance, if it's a raccoon or a possum that's got made invasion into your crawl space, <laughs> they can do thousands of dollars worth of damage to your floor insulation, your ductwork insulation, and definitely leave a very unsanitary situation in your house. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, most of us are home now, certainly more than we were before this pandemic. So we may be more aware of what's going on in our household throughout the day. Uh, if we suspect there might be a problem or we just want to have an assurance that our, you know, my home is secure and sound, what's the procedure for having Bloom come out and check things out? Oh, thank you. We would love to do that and uh, make sure that your home is in good shape at a no-cost visit to you. And we come out, we spend a fair amount of time checking over a, a large list of things that affect the house, the health of your house and the air that is coming up into your home naturally from your mm -hmm. crawl space. And we look for entry points, obvious ones, as well as ones that are very difficult to see, but that are allowing critters in um, from inside the crawl space as well. And we check the exterior for all kinds of things such as ants or spiders. And we also check for penetration points through the screens that go into your crawl space, as well as uh, wasps that are, you know, making, making yes. their nasty nests up under your eaves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that Bloom Pest Control can handle all of that because I would just simply shut the place up and move on. <laughs> because all of that's a bit over my, <laughs> my capacity uh, for tolerance. Uh, are you all able to do that during this season? I know most of us are, you know, we're sheltering in place and we're practicing social distancing. Does it require you to come into the home and are you able to do what you do so well during this season as well? We are, and we are, you know, honoring the needs of every client on an individual basis. However, we are able to do all of this work with virtually no contact with, with the homeowner or, at best, very little and carefully planned. We're observing all of the Oregon ordinances for social distancing and um, sanitizing wherever we are and certainly, you know, looking after our customers as well as the health of our own, our own employees. And, yes, we are up and running. It is rather uninvasive for us to come and, you know, do a look around the outside of your home. And mm -hmm. when you need us to come in as well, we're ready to practice protection 
for you and for us, you know, with face masks, social distancing, hand washing, and certainly sanitizing commonly, commonly touched touch points anywhere we are going. Okay, okay. And again, this is a good time for people to have those things taken care of because we quite frankly, have the time. Now, we're talking primarily residential in our conversation, but you all do uh, commercial pest extermination and management as well. Yes, we do for small business and commercial. That is correct. Okay, I just have to ask you because I know others will ask me why I didn't if I don't. What's the, what's the worst thing that you have found uh, in a, either commercial or residential uh, facility where you had to remove a pest of some sort? <laughs> Uh, the very, very worst one that our crew encountered, bless their hearts, I can't believe they <laughs> took care of it. They had to deal with an entire family of skunks under oh. somebody's home and even getting underneath their outdoor shed. And it was likely the worst thing they've ever had to do in their entire life because not only were was it smelly, as you can imagine, but yeah. several of them had deceased over over time. Oh dear, that was that was really rough on them. But they <laughs> took care of that family, and I'm sure that family is extremely grateful. Grateful. <laughs> well, I think that just goes to show you guys do the stuff that most of us don't want to, but really needs to be done from time to time around a residence or a commercial facility. You mentioned a moment ago that one of the things that you do is uh, deal with wasp nests and bees nests. Um, I know I have a friend who has, I think it's a wasp nest that's starting to form in the eaves of the home. Do you all have to go up there? Or do you have sprays? How do you deal with that? The ones that are up in the uh, on the home or those that are in the ground? Oh, yes. We have equipment that is ready to deal with all of that, whether it's high up or in the ground, you know, next to your, ho- your mm-hmm. home. And um, that that is a challenge. This year is going to be particularly bad for uh, wasps from what we understand with all of the warm winter that we just had. Yes. And our crew is able to um, address wasps in any location at the house. And I know with a lot of pest control services, um, you sign up for, I don't know if subscription is the right way to describe it, uh, where you enter into a contract over a period of time. How do you all handle that if someone has a Um, has a problem but doesn't necessarily want to enter into a long-term contract? I'm glad you asked. We do not enter into contracts for pest services. We have an open dialogue maintenance program that you sign us up for periodic arrival when it's needed according to what, you know, the best recommendations are for your circumstance. And uh, it is certainly an open program and we are happy to sign you up on a maintenance if that's something that has to be done for your home. Well, I really appreciate your mentioning that because I think that's one of the reasons people are reluctant to call the professionals is because they think that it means that for the next several years you're practically engaged. So that's a, that's good to know. Yes, we're talking that's true. <laughs> we're talking about Bloom Pest Control here in Portland. They're locally owned. It's a family-run business. They service uh, the Portland metro area as well as Southwest Washington, and they do great work. As I've mentioned, they've been advertisers at our stations for a number of years, and we really want to encourage our listeners to consider advertisers who are being impacted, much like we all are. Uh, by this pandemic that has left us uh, 
uh, sheltering in place. And if you need a service done, will you consider Bloom Pest Control as an option for your residents or for your um, uh, commercial facility? Now, what's the best way for our listeners to communicate with you if they'd like to have you come out for a consultation? Absolutely. Look us up on either bloompestcontrol.com or bloomcrawlspaceservices.com. And again, that's B-L-O-O-M. Some folks don't hear it quite right, but it's bloom like a flower and your home should bloom too. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate, Luann, (laughs) you're taking the time to, uh, to talk with us and I appreciate Bloom Pest Control. Thank you so much for talking. Thanks, Georgine. Have a great day. You too. Bye bye. Again, Bloom Pest Control in Portland, and they also service the uh, Southwest Washington area as well. They're licensed, bonded, and insured. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. When we come back, we're going to our classic interview with Nate Pyle. The book, More Than You Can Handle, When Life's Overwhelming Pain Meets God's Overwhelming Grace. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we will be back. By the way, portions of our program today brought to you by Liberty Coin and Currency. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Maybe you've said it or maybe you've just heard it. God won't give you more than you can handle. It's a pretty common and oft-repeated sentiment in Christian circles. It's such a popular statement that many have been inadvertently come to believe uh, it's scriptural. Well, in his new book, More Than You Can Handle, pastor, author, and blogger Nate Pyle reminds readers of a hard truth. God actually does give his children more than they can handle alone, thus inviting them to rely on him and his strength to see them through overwhelming times. Well, he delivers a relevant and fresh approach that encourages readers with the hope only God can give, especially in difficult and desperate circumstances. In More Than You Can Handle, he is honest about his own life and the suffering he and his family have encountered. He shows from scripture that God's people are promised Uh, more than they can bear with their own strength, which is a constant and loving invitation for God's children to to rely rather on him supernaturally. He's been uh, given more than he can bear alone and learn from it uh, once he stopped pretending that he could, in fact, handle life on his own. And so many of us have uh, had to do the same. Well, Nate Pyle is the husband of Sarah, dad of Luke, Evelyn, and Wesley. He serves as pastor of Christ Community Church in Fishers, Indiana. He is the author of Man Enough, How Jesus Redefines Manhood and Blog regularly at natepile.com. He joins us today to talk about his latest book, More Than You Can Handle, When Life's Overwhelming Pain Meets God's Overwhelming Grace. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Georgia. Well, this is a difficult subject. For those of us who have yet to suffer, we would prefer to think that perhaps we can somehow avoid it. For those who are in the midst of suffering, it can be overwhelming, and we sometimes uh, wrestle with God over what it means and whether or not we can endure it. You write not just from a theoretical standpoint, you have lived through and with suffering in a way that has informed your understanding of what Scripture teaches and and what God intends to do in and through us in that circumstance. Yeah, my wife and I, uh, about six years ago, we were you know trying to grow our family and we were running into some fertility issues and running into infertility. And so, you know, we did what people do at that point. We went to the doctors and got the tests done and they came back very much inconclusive and the doctors didn't understand what was going on. And, you know, that was, that was its own kind of frustration and and, and somewhat disappointment. Uh, But what ended up happening that really entered into a difficult season for us was uh, what my wife, we ended up getting a positive pregnancy result. Um, but very soon after we got that pregnancy result, my wife began to just feel like something wasn't right. We went in and got some testing and the doctors came back and they said, uh, that they 
have, they couldn't tell 100%, but they were uh, they were thinking at that point that it was an ectopic pregnancy, meaning that the mm-hmm. that the uh, embryo didn't get planted in the uterus and but was in the fallopian tubes. Um, and they they encouraged at that point to end the pregnancy, but my wife and I did not feel like we could do that at all, based on a, on a suspicion. Um, and so we waited a few days hoping that uh, they were wrong and God would work and do something. Uh, but my wife ended up experiencing a lot of pain and bleeding, and we went back to the emergency room. They were able to confirm at that point that was an ectopic pregnancy. The pregnancy was not viable, uh, and it, it was at some risk to my wife. And so we ended up having to uh, make the difficult choice at that point. To you know, Even though it wasn't viable, it was still a very difficult choice to end the pregnancy. Yeah. And so that, that really turned us down into a road of, of asking a lot of questions, like where is God in the midst of this? And why does it feel like he's given us more than we can handle? Because I've, you know, as a pastor and someone who's grown up in the church, I've heard that phrase so many times. Um, and like you said in the intro, people think that it's scriptural, and, it, and it's just not. And so I really began to wrestle with that and, and, and bring that before the Lord to see what he would have to say. Yeah. One of the things I appreciate about the book more than you can handle is you do take on some tough questions. Um, Why don't you step in and act, God? Did God cause my hurt to happen? Do I have enough faith to survive what I'm going through? Some of the very difficult questions from your own experience, from Scripture and from uh, from others. If the Bible doesn't say God will never allow you to suffer anything that you cannot uh, handle on your own, what does the Bible say about uh, suffering and how we get through it and how much we're permitted to bear. Yeah, I, I think there's two things. One, when we think about suffering, so often what we as humans want is we want an explanation for our suffering, and we hope that the Bible is going to explain that or God is going to step in and say, well, this is why you have to, you had to suffer. And while we may learn some lessons from our suffering, and maybe it even becomes apparent as to why we had to endure our trial, uh, there are many times in which we, we don't ever get that answer. And, and what we know about from the Bible is that the Bible never gives a clear explanation for why suffering and pain and injustice uh, and evil persist even today. Uh, there, there's no explanation. Instead, what we're told through the Bible is that uh, in the midst of our trial, God will carry us through. So uh, an example I like to think of that really helps clarify this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a story that if you've grown up in the church, you're very familiar with, where uh, they refuse to worship the king, and, and they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And, and the reality is, is God, being sovereign and all-powerful, could have saved them from the furnace. He could have saved them from the trial. But instead, God doesn't save them from the trial, but saves them through the trial. The same with, with Israel and Egypt and having to save them through the Red Sea. And even what we see with Jesus, that Jesus, that Jesus offers salvation through death. And that's how we get new life. And so this is how we see God work more often than not, that he saves us through the difficulty. He meets us in the valley of the shadow of death. Um, and, and so what, what, what we're promised is that no matter what we're going through, it is not more difficult than God can handle, and God will meet us and be present to us in a unique and intimate way in the midst of our suffering. I want to return to that, the notion that God will allow us to be crushed under the weight of suffering, um, but rather that he intends that our suffering that we cannot bear alone was always intended to be borne. Uh, with him rather than on our own, because I think it's important um, to emphasize God's role in those those life crushing circumstances and his intent for us going through them. Yeah, I think one of the most insidious uh, aspects of that phrase, God won't give you more than you can you, handle, yeah. <laughs> is that it puts the it puts all the onus on surviving and getting through the difficulty and even maybe fixing the situation on you. Like the idea is, if you've been given this, then God assumes you can handle it, so you're on your own. And that just couldn't be farther from the truth. 
In fact, what we see in Scripture, if we look at the Apostle Paul, right, he's the guy who learns to be content in whatever situation he sings while he's in prison, and yet what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is that they endured so many trials and they were so difficult, he says that, that we despaired of life itself. And then he says, and we got to this point so that we could rely on Christ and his strength. And then later at the end of chapter uh, or of Second Corinthians, he says that in his weakness, right, and Paul in, Paul, in his weakness, uh, that's the opportunity at which you get to see Christ's strength in his life. And so if we never are allowed to be weak, if we never embrace our weakness in those times in which we are uh, confronted with our weakness and inability to, to change our circumstances, then we actually never have the gift of being able to see God at work in our lives mm-hmm. and supernatural and wonderful ways. Now, for you and your wife, when you're going through the most painful part of your suffering, um, how did you experience um, God's enabling power to endure uh, through your hardship? Yeah, I think one of the things that was, was, was one of the greatest gifts to me was actually my congregation, my church. And I, that may sound cliche to some, but I think it was pretty unique for a pastor to be able to be completely honest about what was going on in his life and, and, and then to have the church meet me, not as as Nate the pastor and, and, and come around us like that, but as Nate the fellow uh, Christ follower who's in a difficult period. And they came around my wife and I and really supported us well. There was uh, one point where well, my my wife in particular was really dealing with some anxiety and some panic and was experiencing panic attacks. And so I, I, I didn't share everything with my congregation right away, but I shared my, with my elders and, and they came around and they prayed and we had real honest conversations about what I was able to handle at that point in terms of, uh, you know, getting my job requirements done mm-hmm. and, and what I was going to rely on them. And, and they were such a support. And it just reminded me that the body of Christ really is not is the presence of Christ to us in this world. And so one of the graces that we experienced was the role of the church as the body of Christ during the midst of suffering, that those uh, who we call brother and sister really do have an important ministry when they mourn with those who mourn. And, and, and we experienced that firsthand. Yeah, and that is so important because I think our tendency is we want to isolate. Uh, we're in pain, and so we want to hibernate to a place alone, and yet just the opposite is what we need. And God has provided for us a community of believers to help carry us through, to walk through with us um, in these difficult circumstances. And that was your experience. Absolutely it was. You know, you know there's a time in which we have to admit that sometimes we pray all the prayers that we've got in us. We've used up all the words, and we need our brothers and sisters to come alongside of us and pray on our behalf. And there's times where we're going through things in which it's really difficult to have faith and to keep the faith, and we need people to have faith on our behalf. Uh, just as Moses needed uh, Aaron to hold up his arms while Joshua fought in the battle, so we need brothers and sisters to hold us up in the midst of uh, our difficulty. Uh, because sometimes sometimes what happens to us doesn't make sense, and sometimes it is difficult to, to see God, and so we need people to have faith around us, and that was absolutely our experience. We're going to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation with Nate Pyle. His book is titled More Than You Can Handle, When Life's Overwhelming Pain Meets God's Overwhelming Grace. The book is published by Zondervan. Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show Podcast. 
is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Continuing my conversation with Nate Pyle, pastor and author. His book is titled More Than You Can Handle, When Life's Overwhelming Pain Meets God's Overwhelming Grace. One of the things you point out in the book is the fact that the Bible is rife with lamenting. Yet it's something most people don't hear much about in modern society. Can you talk a little bit about uh, lament and why it's important in difficult times and uh, to help us to recognize that it's there, that we shouldn't be surprised by it when we experience it in our own life, and that it can help us walk through in a way that uh, is is God-honoring and gives us the strength to endure. Yeah, I think lament is so important when we find ourselves in the midst of, of those difficulties. And as you say, it's not something that we talk about much in modern times, but when we look through it with the Bible, we actually see that it's something that was very common, and we can see this most often in the, in the Psalms and in the Book of Lamentations. We see this in Job and his interaction and conversation with God, primarily before God speaks. Uh, but the, 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 our ancient practice of lament was simply a, a way of expressing uh, the totality of what you were ex- feeling and experience. In a way, I like to say this, is bringing all of who you are, all of what you're experiencing, all the questions, all the doubts, all the frustrations. And so we see that in the Psalms of, you know, how long, O Lord, or the, you know, have you abandoned me to my enemies as they encircle around me? We see this in Job, which is, this is a line that I just resonated so much as my wife and I were walking through our difficulties uh, in Job chapter, I think it's 30 or 31, but Job says, I stand here and all you do is look at me. As in this, God, you, I, I, I know who you are. I know that you can see all that is happening and, and you see what's happening to me, but that's all you do. You're not acting on my behalf. And, and so the lament really starts by expressing that, expressing the doubts, expressing the questions, expressing the frustrations that, you know, God has not yet delivered on God's promises. Uh, but then the lament also expresses hope by placing the fulfillment of those promises at the feet of the one who is ultimately responsible for those promises being fulfilled, which is the sovereign God, right? If, if God is sovereign, and if God is in the one who's in control, and if God is ultimately the only one who can bring us out of our difficulties, uh, then, then it's right for us to wait and even hold God responsible for the fulfillment of his promise. And so the lament usually has a turn after it expresses all, all of who and all of who we are and all that we're going through, it expresses that to God. Uh, then it turns and says, and you are God, and I'm waiting for all of who you are, God, to meet me in the midst of this difficulty. And I'm not going to walk away from you. I'm not going to abandon you, but I am going to wait for you to fulfill this promise, trusting that your word is good and you will fulfill it. In More Than You Can Handle, you write about a time that um, prayer was hard for you because you were angry with God. I think sometimes suffering can lead to exhaustion, exasperation, and even anger. Um, what do you do with, with that anger? And is, it, is there an appropriate anger? Uh, and how would one express that natural outgrowth of the exhaustion of suffering? Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a right way and a wrong way to handle our anger, particularly as it relates to God. Uh, the way that I handled it was not so well, is that I, I hid it. And I didn't even just hide it from God, because uh, obviously that's a fool's errand, but I hid it from myself as well. And it was something that I didn't even realize I had had. I stuffed it down because, you know, I'm a pastor, and I, and I prayed in my congregation and for people many times. But in my own personal prayer life, uh, it, it had pretty much diminished because I had these emotions and these frustrations and this anger that I hadn't dealt with. And so the inappropriate way I think that we can handle our anger and our exhaustion is actually by by hiding it, by ignoring it, by pretending it's not there, or even just keeping it from God. I think the right way to handle that is actually when we take that into the space between us and God, 
so that God then can can respond to our anger, that God can can either show us the ways in which he also shares our righteous shares anger, his righteous anger at the brokenness and the sin in the world that exists. Uh, but it could also be a way in which God shows us how our anger is because we don't fully understand who God is. And this is what we see with Job, that Job, if you read through the book of Job, particularly the first 38 chapters after, you know, Job is very clear that he is angry and upset and, and feels like God has done him wrong. Uh, and God corrects that to the point that Job says, I've heard of you, but now I see you. And by Job expressing that anger with God and bringing that into the space between him and God, it actually fosters a new kind of intimacy with God uh, so that Job has a, has a stronger relationship on the outset. Mm. That kind of transparency and honesty, we pretend that God is unaware of what's actually going on in the interior of our heart when he knows uh, when he knows it all. When it comes to our own suffering, we may think it's not as bad as someone else's. And I often hear people, you know, discuss what how they're struggling or suffering and then say, well, I recognize it's not as if to say that what they're experiencing is not valid compared to someone else's that might be quite different. What do you say um, when you uh, encounter people who feel the need to somehow minimize their suffering, um, comparing it to others? Yeah, what I always want to do is I want to legitimize it. I mean, I even had this as I as I wrote this book. You know, uh, you know. Uh, yes, my wife and I suffer, and I want to acknowledge that. But I can also point to multiple, many, many people who have suffered more than we have, or in which we, if we were to play the comparison game, I would lose. And that's the problem with the comparison game is that it, it, it's a game in which the house always wins. There's always someone who has suffered more than you, and and that can cause us to distance ourselves from our own humanity, our own uh, limits that we experience. It, 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 it inhibits us from experiencing the goodness and the grace of God as we pull away from the places in which we really need to see God move in our lives. And by distancing ourselves from our humanity and and limiting the ways in which God can work by not acknowledging just how much we actually are suffering, we actually are distancing ourselves from our fellow humans who, who maybe if we were to play the comparison game might say, you know, they're suffering more, but, but, but we're different from them and losing out on the opportunity to empathize with them and to share comfort with them in the same way that we have been comforted. Uh, so I always want to encourage people, no matter what you're going through, whatever kind of suffering you are, whether you're experiencing, whether it's a, a little amount or a large amount, whether it's emotional or physical, whether it's spiritual or something else, like own that, own that suffering, own that pain, own that disappointment, express it in healthy manners, bring that before God, let God meet you, because in the, re- the redeeming part of, of, of experiencing God's intimacy is that God will often use that to comfort somebody else. Hmm. Now, so many people feel like there is no hope for them. Now, as someone who's been in the same place, what would you say to someone who needs to take the very first step uh, into the hope that only God can offer in the midst of suffering? Yeah, I think I think to be begin with with reminding yourself through the study of Scripture the promises that God has spoken. Read those. Believe that God speaks those promises to you. And then begin the process of lament, entering into that prayer life where you express the, the both the frustration and the hope that God will deliver on those promises. I, I think that's the first step, and sometimes that's a huge step. So maybe maybe a smaller step might be expressing those frustrations that you're experiencing with another person and letting others come inside and, and, and into your life and to walk alongside of you. I think we, we have to start with those small 
and they're not small, but maybe they seem small and they seem insignificant. But those are the first steps that I encourage people to take. Remember the promises that God has spoken and don't try to carry this burden alone. Yeah, yeah. Were you surprised um, to learn things about your faith as you were writing more than you can handle? I, I really was. I really was. Uh, in fact, I was just having a conversation with my father last night about this and talking about what was it, it was like to, you know, three years beyond the season of our life to reflect on it and to see the ways in which I had grown, to see the ways in which my, my faith had changed, my understanding of God had changed, because I'll be completely honest, for much of my life, it had been quite suburban. It was, you know, it was, everything looked good, and it was relatively a life of comfort and ease. Um, and, and, and in some ways, I thought that that's, you know, I, I knew this intellectually wasn't how faith worked, like faith wasn't something that protected you from the darkness of the world. Uh, but but I think my functional belief kind of was in that place where I believed that faith in Jesus would be sort of like this insurance that pr- protects me from from suffering. Um, and, and what I found is that that's not the case at all, that, you know, the sun rises on the righteous and the unrighteous, and the tragedy befalls the unrighteous and the righteous. And, and so uh, I, I found rather uh, the God who meets us in the suffering, the God who, who knows our suffering, and the God who suffered in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I've come to love most is the Apostles' Creed. The one th- we know three things about Jesus' life. He was born of the Virgin, he suffered, he died, and he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He suffered just like us. God came and embraced the whole human experience and suffered with us like us. Nate Pyle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Once again, the book is titled More Than Than You Can Handle, published by Zondervan. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Oregon just released new numbers, according to the Oregon Health Authority. Today reported six new deaths from the novel coronavirus as confirmed cases climbed to 1,736. The agency said four men from Multnomah County, ages 56, 69, 78, and 84, as well as a 74-year-old Benton County woman and a 92-year-old Marion County man, were the latest patients to succumb to the illness, bringing the pandemic's death toll statewide to 64. All of them had underlying medical conditions, according to health officials, though they didn't specify what those conditions were. Additionally, 73 residents um, tested positive for the virus in the last 24 hours, according to health officials. During that time, more than 1,700 new people received coronavirus test results. That's up from 988 the previous positive, according to figures published again by the Health Authority's website. Almost 35,000 Oregonians have been tested for the illness since the state confirmed its first case back in February. There are now um, known coronavirus cases linked to 31 of Oregon's 36 counties. The five counties that have yet to document a single case are Baker, Gilliam, Harney, Lake, and Wheeler. They're all located in the central and eastern part of the state and have a combined population of just under 34 Meanwhile, rural Oregon uh, Republicans are pushing back after the governor agreed to a Western state pact with Washington and California on the coronavirus response. Senate Republican leader Herman Barchiger, or something very like that, thinks parts of the rural state haven't um, haven't been hit hard by coronavirus and they should be allowed to reopen the economy soon, beginning with health care. Our decisions made here in Oregon are going to be made much different than California, he said. Uh, the governor had described the framework needed to, or, uh, to open Oregon's economy. Uh, Democratic governors uh, looked to reopening 
with a compact, although each one would maintain some degree of independence. Governor Brown said she will consider reopening Oregon on a regional basis, but said that won't happen until rural rural areas get more personal protective equipment and testing capacity, plus the ability to track and quarantine patients to slow the growth rate. And again, those counties that have yet to have uh, cases, Baker, Gilliam, Harney, Lake, and Wheeler, all located in central and eastern parts of the state, population combined under 34,000. So that is something the governor says she will consider. My guess is she won't move very quickly on that, if at all. Meanwhile, we learned that Oregon's antiquated computers could cost laid-off workers more than $100 million in benefits. Well, the state struggled to adjust to changes in the jobless benefit program that was adopted since the pandemic started, and they've acknowledged the system frequently Well, it tells laid-off workers their claims have been denied, even though they are legally entitled to those benefits. Well, Oregon's rickety, outdated system for processing jobless claims is failing thousands of workers when they most need the help. They are delaying unemployment cash they could use to help pay rent and other bills during the state's coronavirus shutdown. Well, the state processes unemployment filings with obsolete computers running systems that Date back to the Reagan administration, the technology is rigid and difficult to adapt. It frequently requires manual changes to fix individual errors. Oregon has known for years that the system needed to be replaced and received $86 million in federal money to modernize the technology back in 2009. The overhaul didn't get off the ground until the past few years, though, and wouldn't be complete until 2025. Well, the aging computers are causing enormous frustration for Oregon workers laid off during the coronavirus pandemic, spitting out erroneous information about their claim status, resisting the state's efforts to adapt the technology to changes in the jobless benefit program. Well, the ancient technology also stands to cost Oregon a fortune in federal money earmarked for workers laid off by the coronavirus pandemic. Workers who, in some cases, are young, uh, younger than the computer system itself. Well, laid-off workers typically have to wait a week before claiming benefits. The rescue package Congress passed last month waived that penalty for states that don't have a waiting week. However, clearing the way for laid-off workers to start getting their money immediately. Well, those funds now include $600 in additional weekly payments, newly authorized by Congress, but set to run out by the end of the month. And some Oregonians may not see their first dollar, let alone that additional $600 by then. Well, a recent survey from the Federal Reserve shows that 17% of small businesses would have to sell or close down if they went into uh, two months without revenue. About 20% of small businesses would close if we go into May. Even more small businesses would have to take out debt, lay off employees, or downsize if across-the-board scores of small businesses are downsizing or laying off all at the same time. The sudden and severe drop in commerce would cascade down to other small businesses and perpetuate even more economic decline. Well, this just proves that Governor Brown must do everything in her power to bring a safe and soon restart to the economy. Yet Governor Brown's press conference on reopening the economy lacked any clear direction or plan for businesses to reopen. The bad economic data, we're being told, is just now starting to roll in, helping to quantify some of the initial impact of the novel coronavirus Yesterday, we got another round of initial claims for unemployment insurance from last week at both the U.S. and state level. This morning, we got the March uh, employment report for the nation. Neither are good, which is to be expected. 
But we also know uh, these are just the tip of the iceberg of what's to come in the months ahead as the data catches up with the reality of what's happening. First, initial claims last week set new records at the national and state levels. The Oregon Employment Department reported they had received 92,700 initial claims last week. That breaks the previous record of 76,500 set the week before, and it will continue. Now, we don't yet have detailed information for all of these initial claims. So right now, uh, OED is able to provide sector and country breakdowns uh, for the roughly 77,000 claims or county breakdowns fully processed so far in March. Uh, But that's going to take some time. The second big piece of economic data we received this morning was the National Employment Report for March. Simply put, March was one of the worst economic months on record. Payroll jobs fell 701,000 and unemployment rates spiked to 0.9 percent points, rising from the 3.5 to 4.4 percent. To be honest, these figures were a lot larger than expected for March. The reason is due to timing. Data collected is focused on the pay period that includes the 12th of the month. Um, The thought was early mid-March was too early to really capture the impact of COVID-19, which really hit later in the month. But even with the uh, bad March numbers, we know April will be even worse. We get the Oregon March report on uh, on that uh, mid-month, which I uh, commented on a few moments ago. Bottom line, early signs of a very bad economy to come. Again, not altogether surprising. And then this from the Oregonian, U.S. students, including those in Oregon who pay a staggering academic toll from the prolonging um, coronavirus-induced school shutdown, new research conducted by the Portland-based on $5 million, uh, $5 million rather, test scores indicates compared to how much uh, they would have learned in the normal school year, elementary and middle school students are likely to start school in the fall equipped with only about 70% of those reading and writing skills and with 50% or less of the expected gains in mathematics, according to the research conducted since the pandemic. Uh, the pandemic shuttered nearly all U.S. schools across the country. And while the projected learning losses are estimates, it's clear it will likely take years, even in a best-case scenario, to fully remedy the hit to most students' academic trajectories according to researchers and children and families least equipped to help them during this unplanned and unprecedented uh, pause in normal school due to financial woes, lack of digital equipment or know-how and racial inequalities will surely be harmful mostly to that population, to those populations rather. This is the longest break in an education that any kid who has started kindergarten has experienced in the history of modern U.S. education Chris uh, Minich, the tests group uh, chief executive, says it's going to be really hard on teachers who are going to have uh, uh, wider gaps in their student skill levels than they have ever had in the fall. Minich and officials at the Oregon Department of Education tried to offer hope, however, pointing to strategies that they say could lessen academic erosion for this generation of students. They include offering summer catch up sessions to students most likely to fall behind, start the school year a couple of weeks early when possible or at least provide teachers with extra training or a wider range of curriculum materials during this ramp-up to schools reopening, deploying additional uh, testing shortly after school restarts so that uh, teachers will know precisely what the level of their students' capacity is, drawing on community resources, and in the fall, shifting uh, shift-after-school programming such as Multnomah County's Sun School operations to focus more on academics given the need to make up instructional time. So they're already anticipating the deficit and trying to uh, provide for 
assuming we're all together again in the fall in public and private schools uh, to prepare for that deficit. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back in a moment, so stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. And we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Later this hour, we're going to talk with Brett Moore with Montevilla Sewing, how to sew a face mask. We'll talk to our local advertiser and a small business and find out how they're faring in this new normal and some of the service they're providing to our community. So that's coming up later in our next segment. Well, President Trump declared on Wednesday that the country has passed the peak in the number of new cases of the novel coronavirus. While teasing the upcoming announcement on guidelines, the White House is offering states for reopening the economy. Well, those meetings have now taken place. Well, the battle continues, but the data indicates that we have passed the peak, the president said during a press briefing. Uh, He was later not exactly corrected, but modified when Fauci said, well, that's an optimistic view. The president didn't reveal any details of the guidelines uh, it will release and did earlier today, but said he's going to make an announcement uh, this afternoon. We'll, we think some states may be able to open by May 1st, he said, uh, the date the White House is set for continued social distancing practices in the country. We want to get our country open Again, well, while we're waiting for the country to open again, I want to remind you that Salem Media Group has jumped into the movie business by streaming No Safe Spaces. It's a documentary about free speech from comedian uh, Adam Carolla and uh, nationally syndicated radio host Dennis Prager, one of my all-time favorites, No Safe Spaces. Now, it was one of 2019's top-earning political documentaries. The film exposes the toll that political correctness is taking on college campuses, and I'm telling you, it is a must-see. It's much more sobering than you might imagine. It's not just a matter of uh, spoiled young people on campus demanding their way because they're snowflakes. We're talking about deep and profound fissures in this republic and an unprecedented time with regard to the First Amendment and the embrace of free speech. Now, the uh, message of the film... Uh, must be seen, and I want to encourage you to check it out. Now, No Safe Spaces is now available to watch for a limited time at nosafespaces.com. That's nosafespaces.com for $19.95. But for KPDQ listeners, you can use the discount code SAVE25 for a 25% discount. No Safe Spaces will stimulate your thinking, will probably get you a little bit uh, angry and frustrated, but more importantly, it's constructive and might get you moving to be a part of the solution. NoSafeSpaces.com, discount code SAVE25 for a 25% discount. Well, conservative activists um, and others uh, in Michigan protested. They hit the streets over uh, the lockdown restrictions by the governor, which were heavy-handed and weren't, uh, certainly were not even-handed. That's also now taking place in other parts of the country as well. People are getting frustrated and angry with what's uh, going on and uh, how uh, governors and others are using their authority in ways that exceeds what's necessary. Meanwhile, COVID-19 likely originated in a Wuhan laboratory, not as a bioweapon, but as part of China's attempt to demonstrate that its uh, efforts to identify and combat viruses are equal to or greater than the capability, uh, capabilities rather of the United States. Now, questions are once again being asked about the usefulness of the UN Security Council, whose primary function centers on maintaining worldwide peace and security with China, a permanent member, insisting that battling coronavirus is outside the council's mandate. And the number of Americans seeking unemployment benefits jumped by 5.25 million last week. Stimulus checks are uh, to aid millions of Americans during the economic downturn. 
caused by the coronavirus pandemic began arriving on Wednesday, including some for people who are no longer living. That's a problem. Prime Minister Shinzo Abe is reportedly planning to extend Japan's state of emergency to cover the entire country with a coronavirus outbreak. And there are several other developments. Two Wuhan whistleblowers have been missing for months after helping expose the coronavirus outbreak, according to activists. And Rams, uh, the Rams' Brian Allen is the first NFL player to test positive for coronavirus. California churches are suing the Governor Newsom over coronavirus stay-at-home orders, uh, that growing angry backlash. And North Korea's Kim Jong-un is missing the day, uh, missing at Day of the Sun honors as the nation insists they have no coronavirus cases. And Winn-Dixie is surprising health professionals by paying for their groceries during the pandemic, literally paying for their groceries. New York Governor uh, Andrew Cuomo announced on Thursday that all non-essential businesses and workers must remain home during the coronavirus uh, outbreak through mid-May. The decision comes as the uh, governor and other governors in the region are trying to coordinate the reopening of their state's economies. New York reported 606 new deaths on Thursday, down from 752 the previous day. Total hospitalizations are also down, while the number of new ICU admissions is down significantly for the first time, according to Governor Cuomo. We have to continue what we're doing, he says. I don't want to project beyond that period. People need certainty and clarity so they can plan. I need a coordinated action plan with the other states. So one month we will um, continue to close down policies. Uh, What happens after then? I don't know, he said. We'll see, depending on what the data show. And of course, he and other governors around the country met with the president earlier today that may inform how they make decisions about what happens next. Meanwhile, governors in more than a dozen states have implemented executive orders to some sort of official guidelines for residents to wear face masks or coverings when in public as part of their coronavirus response efforts in the latest wave of restrictions at the local level. New York uh, Democratic Governor Cuomo on Wednesday announced the executive order for the state, which has become the epicenter for the uh, virus, requiring New Yorkers to wear some sort of face covering in situations where social distancing is not possible, such as while riding on public transit or walking in crowded areas and stores. Put the mask on when you are not in socially distant places. The order in New York is slated to go into effect on Friday, but New York is not alone in Maryland. Uh, The governor there, Larry Hogan, also issued an order on Wednesday, and you'll recall the uh, national uh, advisors have suggested that it's probably a good idea. It's not mandatory or necessary, but it's probably a good idea to cover one's face when out in public. But there is a growing sense of paranoia. One Alabama family was denied entry to a storm shelter during the tornado outbreak just a few days ago uh, due to uh, the fact that they had no face coverings. Now, this is a tornado. Uh, The family in Alabama said that they were denied entry to the storm shelter on Easter Sunday as a severe storm system left dozens dead across the South because they didn't have enough face masks during the coronavirus pandemic. And a Florida man threatened to shoot up a supermarket because not enough people were wearing masks, according to police. The 62-year-old Florida man was arrested this week after he allegedly threatened to shoot the local public supermarket because enough people weren't wearing what he thought was absolutely essential those face masks. So we're going to talk, in fact, uh, in just our next segment with Brett Moore with Montevella Sewing. Uh, They have a tutorial to help us figure out how to do just that. If you don't have them, it's not required, but it is advisable 
Um, Montevilla is providing that service, and we'll talk with him about that, among other things. Well, three Southern California churches who want to remain open amid the coronavirus pandemic filed a lawsuit against the governor and other officials on Monday. They argue that the stay-at-home orders violate their First Amendment right to freedom of religion and assembly. The Center for American Liberty, it's a conservative nonprofit, filed the lawsuit in federal court for the Central District of California on behalf of three pastors and one parishioner in San Bernardino, Riverside uh, counties, and East Los Angeles County. Uh, The the, uh, governor um, and others are accused of criminalizing church attendance under overly broad state and local stay-at-home orders instead of allowing houses of worship to remain open if they practice safe social distancing in the same manner as grocery stores or other outlets considered essential services. Well, the state and localities have granted sweeping exceptions to the shutdown orders for favored businesses and professions, while specifically targeting people of faith and decreeing uh, to religious institutions that it is um, good enough that they be allowed to offer streaming video services. So the showdown has begun in several places, the latest being in California with a lawsuit against the governor there that would uh, allow them to meet while observing social distancing norms. Well, some are complaining about joggers panting on uh, passersby. Others wonder what to do when they uh, overhear drunken partygoers rejecting quarantine measures. Still more questions whether people they see on the street are really on essential business. Police thy neighbor. That seems to be where we're headed. Local social media networks, long places for recipe swaps and restaurant tips, are rapidly becoming sites where neighbors police neighbors during the global coronavirus pandemic. And as users test the line between civic duty and intrusive surveillance, often trying to shame their peers into obeying social distancing rules, experts worry that a practice once frowned upon is becoming normalized. Hmm. Online shaming is nothing new, and neither is neighbors uh, keeping tabs on one another, but never in history, at least the history of this country, never in the history of this country uh, have so many people Uh, had such a high stake in enforcing social rules or such a fast and accessible platform on which to do so. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with uh, Brett Moore with Montevilla Sewing, how to sew a face mask and other things. That will be the topic of our conversation. We'll tell you where you can get a pattern and some instruction. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you uh, with us. I've been uh, sharing stories around the country where people are being intimidated if they're not wearing face masks. Now, they're not required in the state of Oregon. They are not required according to national standards, but more and more people are suggesting, and in both cases, uh, they're suggesting it's better to have them when you're in spaces where you cannot socially uh, distance from others. Well, I don't have one. I haven't had one. It's been frustrating. You ask, do you have face masks? Knowing full well the answer is no. Well, one of our advertisers at KPDQ has been providing a service to our community, and I invited Brett Moore to talk with us about that. Brett is the owner of Montevilla Sewing Centers, and I want to talk to him about that and just how uh, this whole thing is impacting his small business. Brett Moore, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Georgine. Hey, before we get started, let me ask you how you and your family are doing. Well, we have been doing uh, really well. It's been kind of interesting. This whole mask-making thing has caused me to actually be busier than I think I would have been <laughs> if we didn't have this COVID-19, unfortunately. <laughs> so, but I can't, I, I, I'm not one to sit around at home. I could never do <laughs> horrible at that. <laughs> but everybody's safe and well. 
everyone's safe and well, and that's that's been really good. Uh, we've been reading Thank statistics you. about unemployment and how um, this whole pandemic is impacting small business. How is Montevilla Sewing Centers? How are they faring uh, under this new normal? Well, it's been quite interesting to tell you the truth. We um, had to make a lot of changes and change really quickly. Uh, we had to cut two thirds of our staff originally. Mm. And uh, we went down to five days. We're open Tuesday through Saturday right now because we didn't have the staff. And then we've been adding staff gradually. We're now added. We're now about 50% staffed. Uh, but I don't know if we can actually get to 100% with all the social distancing rules and everything in place. And uh, it's been really hard for us to. Uh, I, I don't think we could ever get fully staffed, and can, we can't do instructions or classes or anything like right. that. We figured figure that's not going to happen until the restaurants are open. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, I have to yeah. mention to, to folks, if you were not aware that Montevilla Sewing Centers provide that kind of uh, training and tutorial, it's really a great service. If you're just learning how to sew or you've got a new machine and you're trying to figure out how to make that work, it really is a wonderful service that you all provide. Well, I know one of the things Thank that you. you've done is the Montevilla Sewing blog, and on that blog you have resources for sewing masks. Now, I consider yes. myself a pretty savvy person, but I haven't, uh, I haven't made masks. I haven't found um, patterns for masks. Maybe I just haven't looked. So this is really a great resource. Tell us a little bit about the Montevilla Sewing Blog and resources. Well, what we did is we had a, one of our instructors, PJ, she came up with a, um, a pattern for us for making masks. And she just gave it to us at no charge. She actually created it and came up with it at no charge and uh, also then put a video tutorial on there. So we've had uh, other instructors also step up and put other, uh, put other uh, patterns and stuff like that on for us. And we've been emailing those out from our, from our email blast and from our website and from our uh, Facebook page. So we've been trying to get the message out on how to make masks for the last four weeks. Oh, and that is such a wonderful service. By the way, you can go to montevillasewing.com. Uh, and at the blog, you're going to find a tutorial video, mask options with or without elastic, a pattern, instructions, um, all kinds of stuff that will help you uh, make those masks. And I think it's a great idea to have them available. I think some of us have been a little bit resistant to wearing them, but it's it's a yeah. good idea, especially in certain places where social distancing is a bit more um, a bit more difficult. Now, you all are it's, open. It's a hard habit to get into. Yeah, it really is. And then, you know, there's moisture in your breath you don't realize. Ugh. And to have that kind of bounce back onto your face, it's uncomfortable. But I keep reminding myself, yeah. I love my neighbors, and therefore I'm going to be uncomfortable in order to protect them. And so yeah. I, I keep telling <laughs> telling myself that anyway. So the store is open. What can people do when they come to Montevilla? Well, you know, it depends on which store you go to. We, do, we operate a little differently because each store has a little different footprint. Yeah. Uh, like the store on 84th and Stark where I'm at right now, we actually, the weather's really been great uh, because we have an overhang. And so we actually don't let people in the store, mm -hmm. but you can call when you enter in, tell us what you're needing. We grab things for you. We call it Montevilla Takeout. Governor <laughs> Brown said back in uh, uh, several weeks ago when she did the stay-at-home order that, that any business that had some type of takeout could stay in business. And so I took that and ran with it and said, okay, we're going to create Montevilla Takeout. <laughs> I and love it. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I got to find a workaround somehow, right? <laughs> and so what you do is you uh, can call and order something, and we put it together. And then before you come, we'll get credit card information. And then when you pull into the parking lot, tell us when you get there, and we'll take it out to your car. 
then also we have a repair bench outside to kind of help check in machines and uh, show people machines even, we but we do it outside. And we have a piece of tape down where you have to stand behind and just kind of uh, work work within the parameters and the rules of oh, how we absolutely. do it. And then we always wear masks and gloves. So yeah, we very sure creative. We customers safe. Well, I think for a lot yeah, of us, I'm, I'm working at home, so I'm, I'm working during the day. But for a lot of people who have more time on their hands and they probably wish they had, um, having fabric or have, making sure your machine is working or, you know, having things to do, um, is, this is a great time to do that. I know for me, I always thought if I ever had some time off, I'm going to get that machine out and I'm just going to sew up a storm. <laughs> well, for a lot of people, that's what they have the opportunity to do. Now, if someone is yep. interested in purchasing uh, a machine, maybe they want to learn how to sew during this time or purchase a machine right. and, and uh, start sewing again. Can they do that with the configuration yep. that you have? Yes. Now, what we did is we have several machines. We, we, I brought in a lot of machines, I think 250 machines that were under $300 retail. And the reason why I did that is we've had new people learning to sew in the last four weeks that have never beckoned our doors. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think Joanne's fabrics down the street uh, started referring customers that come down to us because they ran out of machines. And so we have been filling those orders and uh, we are going to help people teach people uh when we are back open for that that service again but we also have uh video calls and zoom calls we can help people with to actually help train them a little bit if they have questions here or questions there we're willing to work with people and help them out with with well, their with their issues in the afternoon that's incredible um again the website is montevillasewing.com uh, the blog has all the information, the resource for uh, sewing masks. For the other things, um, if you want to do a Zoom call and all of that, what's the best way for listeners to connect? Well, what you do, first of all, you email us at info, I-N-F-O, at montevillasewing.com. And then you tell us what you're looking for, and we will get back to you. It'll be that simple. We'll set up an appointment if we need to. Excellent. Well, I know uh, Montevilla Sewing Centers have been great supporters of uh, Christian Radio, and we want to support you as well during what is a very challenging time for most businesses. So I want to encourage our listeners, if you are a sewer, now's a great time to maybe get that uh, machine tuned or uh, to stop by and get some other elements that you need, and you can uh, communicate info at montevillasewing.com. You can also go to the website and get resources for sewing masks. You might want to do that as a service uh, to others. But just a great resource in our community that is still available to us with the the, uh, shortened hours. And uh, I just appreciate that you all are available and still serving as you have for many, many years. Thank you so much, Georgine. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us. I'm not at all surprised you're out at one of the stores because you don't, you're not the kind of guy that sits around for very long. But I appreciate you no. taking the time to, uh, to bring us up to date. Thank you so much. You have a good day, Georgine. You too. Bye-bye. Look forward to uh, seeing him again. I, that um, I'm hoping won't take too long before we'll be able to be in the company of our friends and um, fellows in the in the future. Again, that website is montevillasewing.com. The blog has resources for sewing masks, and it's very helpful. You can actually print out a pattern. There are tutorials in writing, or you can watch the video of it uh, right there on the website. And it is a good idea if you are in groups where uh, social distancing is more of a challenge. It's a good idea to wear the mask. So my project for the next couple of days is to make uh, several masks for my family members and others who might uh, might also need them. So appreciate Brett Moore and Montevilla Sewing Centers. 
right, we're going to take a break here in just a moment, and uh, we'll wrap things up. I want to let you know about uh, some of the challenges that we're facing in this uh, techno- technological age in which we have so many amazing benefits, but so many abuses as well. We'll tell you about that when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. You know, one of the things that's made this uh, sheltering in place tolerable is the fact that we can communicate using technology. But there's always that underbelly when you use technology. There are always people who are seeking to exploit the use of whatever is available um, to their own benefit. Well, I just read uh, earlier today that over 500,000, now it's K, is that 1,000, 500,000? Uh, Zoom accounts have been sold on the dark web. Now, I don't know what the dark web would do with those accounts, but apparently more than 500,000 accounts of the popular video conferencing app that everyone's using are being sold on the dark web and hacker forums, according to a report from Bleeping Computer, a cybersecurity news site. Well, these accounts are being sold for less than a penny each and in some cases given away for free. Now, in this case, cyber criminals are employing credential stuffing uh, where they try to log into Zoom using account data such as users' names and passwords uh, leaked in older data breaches. If the login is successful, it's added to a list that's sold to other hackers. Well, Bleeping Computer said... Uh, It contacted random email addresses exposed in the lists and confirmed that some of the passwords were correct while others were old. Cybersecurity intelligence firm Cybel began seeing uh, free Zoom accounts being posted on hacker forums earlier this month to gain an increased reputation in the hacker community. Well, these accounts are shared via so-called text sharing sites where the lists are posted. In one example, 290 accounts from major U.S. universities were released for free. Accounts from major U.S. financial companies were also posted, according to the report. Now, credential stuffing attacks, um, they used to generate lists of login names and passwords. They're not unique to Zoom, and they affect all online services, according to the creator and owner of Bleeping Computer. Well, the best way to protect yourself from these attacks is to use a unique password at every site you visit, which can be made easier using a password manager. As Zoom said, it's aware of the problem and they've uh, tried to mitigate it. They say it's, uh, it's common for web services to serve consumers to be targeted by this type of activity. Um, they added that this type of hack typically involves bad actors testing large numbers of already compromised credentials from other platforms to see if users have reused them elsewhere referring to users' sensitive personal information that's already been exposed to cyber criminals. So if you're using the same password on five to all of your sites, um, they're fishing to see if you use it here, then you might also use it on your bank account so they can have access to other more useful things. So keep that in mind. And also, this was troubling. A shocked mother discovered a photo of her family in a Facebook ad for a face mask that claimed most of the family members pictured had died of COVID-19. Now, this mom is seeing an image of her family in an ad saying that most of the people in this picture have died and promoting a particular face mask. Well, CBS reported that the image, a professional photo of the Aldrich family taken for a holiday card eight years ago, appeared in a face mask ad placed on social network. Uh, Mom Sarah Andrick 
She told CBS that she was uh, inundated with Facebook messages from concerned family members and friends after the ad appeared. People recognized them. The ad claimed that the family became victims of the coronavirus pandemic after attending a church service. It said that all the youngest son had died of COVID-19. Well, the video describes a teenager's survival as a result of the face mask. Uh, the teen is falsely identified as the member of the family. Uh, the ad has uh, reportedly been taken down by Facebook, although Facebook hasn't really responded to questions. But a fact check reports that the ad, along with another version advertising the face mask, racked up more than one million views on Facebook. The misleading ad, which plays heavily on fears with dramatic music in the background, have been viewed more than 1.1 million times on Facebook. So not everything you see is what it appears to be. CBS reported that while Sarah Antrick um, said that the image was posted on to social media years ago, it also showed up on several Pinterest boards following a reverse Google image search. So the images that you place on social media can be misplaced by others who are bad actors. Well, the videos, uh, videos rather, advertise the same product linked to two different websites, which are both now unavailable. As of Thursday afternoon, more than 2 million coronavirus cases have been diagnosed worldwide, uh, at least 639,700 of which are in the U.S. The disease has accounted for at least 139,000 deaths around the world, including about 30,000 people here in the U.S. So these uh, bad actors take an image that they randomly found on Facebook that it was actually posted several years ago, used it in their ad as if this were uh, a, a known family whose members um, had succumbed to the novel coronavirus, save one who was not related to the family and whose image one can only guess was either given in consent or not. So uh, just a, a heads up, photos can be used and misused by bad actors. And by the way, the family, uh, they're all fine. None of them has contracted COVID-19. Well, tomorrow on the program, it's Friday, and we're looking forward to taking a look at the lighter side of the news. That's what we do on Fridays. In the meantime, I'd like to encourage you to consider taking a look at the best uh, documentary that I've seen in a long time, No Safe Spaces. You can access that at nosafespaces.com. Uh, great uh, documentary that will be useful beyond uh, this season that we're in. And I'd also like to encourage you, if you hear an advertiser here on KPDQ or our sister stations, consider how you might patronize those um, advertisers. They do good work. They provide great services. Brett Moore at Bonneville Sewing is providing resource for people who are looking for uh, patterns to sew face masks. Uh, Lou Ann Miles, who joined us earlier in the program from Bloom Pest Control, is um, offering to rid you of pests that can be more than just pests. They can actually be a menace to your family. But as you're listening to people who support the things that you care about, uh, consider how you might support them in their, uh, in their businesses. Now, not all are able to continue to work under our current circumstance, but among those who can, uh, it certainly is a blessing to, uh, to support them as they have supported us. So be sure if you did, do give them a call, you do make an appointment, mention that, you know, you heard them on KPDQ and you appreciate their support. I want to thank James Blind for producing today's program, Clark Hilton for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Once again, tomorrow we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news, but we won't neglect 
headlines as they develop throughout the day as well. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.